The following podcast is a recap of a movie you have never even heard of, let alone seen. Consequently, the entire conversation is spoilerific. We here at Pain and Green Peppers, at least the same among us, encourage you to avoid watching any movie we discuss at all costs. It is not worth the damage it will do to your soul. Just sit back and be amused at Shane's anger and outrage. Thank you. podcast i am shane aiden with me is my buddy patrick heiss as always excited to be here how are you today shane uh, i was better till i finished watching this movie <laughs> so now you're now you're much much better uh well it depends i mean if you're my psychiatrist and looking for a big payout because of all the therapy i have to have yeah i guess it's a lot better day <laughs> well, uh, me and your your psychiatrist, we got a little uh, side hustle going on. So yeah, that, that that's that's what I wanted to hear. Good answer, good answer. Yeah, I did a little research uh, about what's going on. Yes, um, I have Stockholm syndrome. That's what I have discovered. <laughs> I'm sympathetic with my torturer, and so yeah, that's what that's what goes on. I had no, I know I'm not researching this god awful movie. No. Uh, no, no, not, not at all. <laughs> Why would you? Oh. <laughs> now, now I detect a tone that possibly tells me that you didn't enjoy this film. Is that correct? That would be uh, very correct. That would be extremely correct. That would be uh, spot on. Uh, correct circle gets the square. Whatever you want to say. Uh, ah, yes. I enjoy a good game show analogy. I like that. Yeah, yeah. You're you're uh you're my Jim J. Bullock. That's all I can say. <laughs> oh Jim, oh Jim. I hope he's doing well these days. I'm sure he is. Infested with all sorts of disease. Anyway, what uh <laughs> Oh yeah, we were gonna talk about a movie, I think, before we got off track. Uh sure. the uh, the film question if you would like is a uh, dracula versus frankenstein by uh al adamson an al adamson film uh for those of you al adamson fans out there uh that would be his wife uh, his... <laughs> yeah well that's probably a good thing right sure sure maybe his kids but probably died of shame anyway go ahead <laughs> As I was saying, Dracula versus Frankenstein from the uh, glorious year of 1971. For those of you 1971ers out there, what do you think, huh? Yeah. No, Round of no applause. No. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned uh, Al Adamson's wife. Uh, that's interesting because she's actually one of the, uh, the stars of this uh, delicious film that we watched. Uh, as I said, Dracula versus Frankenstein. She actually plays um, Judith. Okay, back up because you, you, you cut out for a second. Who plays Judith? Judith is played by Regina Carroll, Al Adamson's wife. 
Oh, okay. So maybe she hates him. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she owed him a favor, so she did this film. But ironically, she's she actually made uh, quite a few films for her husband uh, in that era. So uh, I don't know. I think they had a good business partnership going on, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that she was, you know, a victim of domestic abuse didn't want to hit anymore. anymore. <laughs> Or perhaps she had Stockholm Syndrome as well. Uh, yeah, Maybe. obviously. Obviously. I'm at straws. <laughs> but no, Regina Carroll, she's the blonde, uh, what would you call her, a starlet, a heroine? I don't know what you would call her exactly. Uh, Vegas. Uh, sure, she was whatever. <laughs> A little bit of trivia before we get started in the the plots of this film. Uh, Regina Carroll. No, 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 no. no, no, no. You you used the wrong word. You you used plot. And it's actually plot. Because there are two plots going on, and none of them had anything to do with the other. That's true. This is one of those films that sort of uh, has several levels, right? Would you say levels? Layers, I maybe. Say, I would say that they just had film that they needed to pad something with and kept going. <laughs> well, that's but, as good an explanation as any, I think. Well, you yeah. know, I actually did, actually did do a little bit of research on this because I needed something to ease my pain. Sure, so, sure. We'll, we'll get into that a little later, but uh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to mention that uh, <laughs> the main character, Judith, uh, uh, as I said, wife of Al Adamson, uh, well, uh, some of his other films include Satan's Sadists, which ironically, this film was originally going to be um, a sequel to Satan's Sadists, which, right. as I said, also Regina Carroll and Russ Tamblin. And uh, that would explain, which we'll get into that a little bit later, why Russ Tamblin is even in this film at all. So it was originally meant to be a sequel to Satan Sadist. Of course, we know that did not, uh, you know, come to fruition uh, as we are reviewing a film called Dracula versus Frankenstein. Correct? Uh, well, you know, given the fact that uh, I seem to think you made me watch Satan Sadist decades ago, uh, I think that's true. And, and it had- it had absolutely no plot line or uh, semblance of a story. This actually could have been quite a sequel to it. I don't know. Yeah. It, They're very uh, similar in that, uh, in that aspect, right. I suppose. Right. Yeah, it was a heck of a show there, buddy. It was, and I, I agree completely. I'm glad we're on the same page this week. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, here's the sad thing, is that, yeah. you know, like I said... <laughs> One sad thing. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, one sad thing. Yeah, my life. No, um, no, yeah. I, I, I recognize some of the names involved in this because of the years sure. and years of abuse you have heaped upon me. Uh, You're welcome. Russ Hamblin yeah. being one of them, Forrest J. Ackerman being another, and sure. uh, uh, you know, of course, Lon Chaney. Now, that's an actual. You know, he started out as an actual actor and ended up just a. A sad, incredible, a, a sad, shambling, uh, hulking alcoholic who couldn't do you know hold it together past ten a.m. Um, and so I recognize <laughs> that name, but uh, sure, you know that's that's that, that that yeah yeah you know I, I the sad thing is that I almost look forward to seeing some of this simply because I had 
you know, knew what was I was getting into this time, as opposed to some of yeah. those Italian things you keep throwing at me. See, I felt I felt that. Now you had made a comment in the past episode or two about me throwing a lot of the, uh, shall we say, out of the country filmed uh, productions at you as of late. So I thought we would bring it back home uh, and watch some good U.S. A produce grade A quality, you know, celluloid. Such, such patriotism. Such patriotism. I Raise try. the flag and play the national anthem. Jeez. Hey, that's what I'm all about, you know. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Baby. Right. <laughs> uh, can we just jump into this so I can start suppressing Let's it? do it. Yeah. Head first. No goggles. Right. Go so, ahead. Anyway. <laughs> this film has a really awesome uh, intro sequence, which I wanted to mention first of all. Um, um, yeah, that's uh, like that. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, the intro sequence, which was you, you, it's just weird images because this is still the the psychedelic era of film. Exactly. And, yes. Uh, so it's a lot of psychedelic, a lot of weird images, a lot of. Uh, overexposed photos that are playing, you know, planted on top of each other, and the, you know, thing that really struck me was the picture of Dracula, um, which looked like the guy playing Dracula had just had something shoved up his butt, and that's like his facial reaction, you know, to what was going on, and uh, you know, it goes back and forth, and then you see fire drawn out of a ring. Uh, Again, very, very supposedly psychedelic. Just really um, a, a sad attempt to cash in on the, uh, you know, poor taste of the of America's drug-addled youth at that point. Exactly. Oh, Lord. it was a commentary on society. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was right. <laughs> so, the fall of society, maybe I don't know. Yeah, and I and I don't know if it's just because. The um, you know, it's, a, it's such an old film and no one's really taking care of it. They're just, I guess, that society at large hopes this falls away and is forgotten for the sake of uh, humanity. Um, uh, but the uh, uh, color of the copy that I was able to watch on YouTube, uh, I'm not sure if it was just such low quality because they had no budget. Or if the color man was Stevie Wonder before he became a famous uh, recording artist. <laughs> you know, I'll have to double check the credits for that. It, it could be, you know. Hey. Yeah, it could, could be. be. Uh, and just <laughs> you, you open up with uh, Dracula attacking somebody, you know, in a graveyard. Yes, randomly. yes, exactly. And yeah. You know, Dracula looks like he's played by the same guy who played Arnold Horshack on Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> and he has what I can only describe as the 10-cent Dracula teeth shoved in his mouth. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, he Lord. did. Yeah, no- yeah I mean, he, uh, he... Yeah, I think they were trying to get away from the traditional Hollywood Lugosi look, you know, the Bella Lugosi style vampire, and come up with something fresh and new. Yeah, so nothing, nothing says uh, fresh and new in a Transylvanian undead monarch like uh, a tall Jewish guy with an afro. That's, that's really, you know, really redefines the look. It's cutting edge, you know. Yeah. Jewish guy, afro, goatee. 
and uh, Sven Gulli makeup around the eye. <laughs> and what about his accent, his Transylvanian accent? They didn't have one. He had, uh, well, okay. Now, I will say this. I will say this. That, that was, sure, uh, sure. Now, previous to seeing this, I actually had no, re- no clue of what, what this was. And uh, I have written, or in the middle of writing, however you want to talk about it, uh, a, a bit of fiction that involved a, a vampire, actually, to get you know, weird, but uh, uh, the ancients part of this vampire had sort of an echoey voice, and that's just how I wrote it in my book. And I had no idea that this was sort of a thing, because that was the effect, is they ran this guy's voice through an echo chamber when they were looping it. Uh, for an effect, which gave it, you know, um, more than a human, sort of ungod sort of thing, and okay, that was uh, was interesting. That 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 was an idea that other people had had that the voice of a vampire would not be that of a human being. So, so I'll you, give him that. You approve of that effect? I approve of the effect. It'd be nice if he wasn't, you know, a New York Jew doing it, but okay. <laughs> As I said, they broke the stereotypical mold, but uh, I'm glad you enjoyed his performance. Yeah, and and, and for those in uh, for those wondering, the uh, the vampire was portrayed by Xandor uh, Vorkov or Roger Engel, if you want to know his 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 birth name. Uh, but yeah, Xandor Vorkov uh, was playing Dracula in that particular role. And, and and an interesting bit of trivia, you may know this. Uh, the name Zandor Vorkov was given to the actor by Forrest Ackerman, who, of course, as you said, appears in the film. And uh, that was actually his suggestion to use that name uh, in the film. So, so, so I don't know. Shame that would inevitably fall upon the guy's family? Uh, yeah. Sure. sure. <laughs> well, I thought that this guy was like an actor. I thought he was like an accountant or something that they used. He was a stockbroker. That is correct. Uh, actually, Sam Sherman's... Uh, stockbroker who was uh, also a producer and director on the film so yeah it uh yeah. so he had a lot of acting under his belt yeah you exactly know. so you know get a tall guy uh, slap some horrible makeup on him now you're dracula there you go dracula, there you go yeah yeah you know yeah. it's beautiful it's a beautiful thing really right. well we go from we go from a random bite of a security guard in a, in a graveyard with no context or clues or, or any reference whatsoever to a, what I can only describe as some girl wandering through a fog machine factory. <laughs> uh, there's, there's no, we don't know where this is. We don't know what it is. We see this girl and suddenly she is walking through a million fog machines with nothing going on. There's nothing. There's no reason. And, and, she died? Did she die? Or she just disappeared? She uh, yeah. Yeah. She actually gets beheaded, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's right. Sure. Doesn't show anything. No, no, no. Of course. Right. And then we cut to a Vegas show. Uh, yes. Where this woman's doing a, a comedy, quote unquote, comedy song with these two guys about having to pack everything and why she has to have so much stuff and it's so heavy for these guys to carry and you know of course they're dressed head to toe in black grooviness uh yes and um 
Just going to say that their toes were about six inches off of the ground. They were so light in the loafers, but that's all right. I mean, that was a Vegas show. That's what they did. True. Yeah. That's what, <laughs> what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Is that the old uh, right, new right. moniker? Until you go back home and but, give it to your wife. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> so anyway, the show, yes, the show, which was performed, uh, of course, by the main character we mentioned earlier, Judith, played by Regina Carroll. She is a uh, Vegas uh, performer. Sure. Who is... Uh, whose sister is actually missing and she's uh, very concerned of course about what has happened to her sister so she's on the search on the prowl on uh, the investigative path if you will trying to find out the whereabouts of her missing sister yeah all she needs is a couple friends a van and a talking dog <laughs> that was the third movie they never made yeah, I think yeah, that sure. was gonna wrap the whole thing up you know uh <laughs> Well, we come to find out that her sister's been hanging out with the the hippie crowd, as they called it in the film, I believe, or something to that effect, right? right? And, uh, you know, uh, doing whatever hippies do uh, back in, you know, late 60s, early 70s. Well, we know what hippies did uh, back in the day. Drugs. They did drugs. Well, yeah, they did. They did lots of drugs, which we definitely (laughs) do not condone. Uh, But, uh, yeah, that's the thing, you know, so... We find out she's been running with the hippie crowd and now she's vanished. And, uh, well, shortly after that, we, uh, cut to a carnival barker on the boardwalk there at the, uh, the beach. Well, and, uh, he's, you know, Judith went to talk to a police captain with a pompadour. First of all, did she not? That is correct. Yes, she did. He told her not to go there because a bunch of pushers and, bad people and just better to stay at home let him do all the investigating you never see him doing investigating but he wants to make sure she doesn't do the investigating he did nothing he drove a car in one scene uh and uh this 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 performance was actually done by uh jim davis playing sergeant martin in the film who uh, went on to play jack ewing in the highly successful 80s uh drama dallas uh as we know Actually, late 70s uh, throughout the 80s. But, you know, that uh, he was in Big Jake with John Wayne as well. So, you know, he a uh, credible actor to an extent, right? Credible, yeah. not yeah. incredible. Credible. That, that, oh, no, no, just, just credible. Even, even I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> a credible yeah. actor. He's got some uh, some decent roles under up, his belt. You do end up at a, at a carnival barker who is a, the, the term for it now would be a little person. Uh, or right, dwarf. the previous term would be a midget, uh, previous term of that would be a freak, but um, yeah. and that's true, these are all factual terms, so, sadly. But they have a, a, a little person, a dwarf out there, he's the carnival barker. And uh, yes. the interesting thing about this guy now, I looked at this guy, I'm like, he looks very familiar, and, and yes, I knew you would recognize and there, him. And there yes. aren't a whole lot of dwarf actors, you know, particularly back in the 70s right. into the 80s until. You get now, you've got two or three different guys who are dwarves that do a lot of different work and you know, and not just playing uh, leprechauns or, you know, little small things, but actually doing serious work. Uh, and I remember right. this guy looks so familiar and his voice sounded so familiar. I stopped, I looked him up and he was master of Master Blaster from uh, yes. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. 
And, uh, yes, iconic role, right? That's an iconic that role. That is an iconic role. He, you know, that's such a huge yeah. thing. And, uh, you know, so he's out there doing the carnival barking, and then the people come up to get tickets, and it's like, it's a dollar. What do I do with it? And he folds it up in some of the literally worst sleight of hand I have seen outside of my own son trying to do a trick. You know? I'm fairly certain you used to do this crap. I'm not sure, but I'm fairly certain you quoted that. You tried to do that trick years and years ago. I still do that trick to my own family on occasion. Uh, so, you know, uh, yeah, I love that. That has stuck with me times. You know, divorce that they obviously would have you know, given you since you do that. <laughs> love is a powerful bond, my oh, friend. <laughs> but yeah, I learned that trick from watching Angelo Rosito, who played Grasbo or Grasbo in this film. The, uh, the 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 carnival uh, carnival barker, right. uh, yeah. So it's a it's a good, uh, good thing. Oh lord, I eat it. But the, no, con- and then he walks off, takes them inside, and I'm just sitting there thinking, who's outside selling tickets? If you're doing the tour now, <laughs> it's a one man show, sure. <laughs> sure, a half man show. Anyway, uh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yes, they enter the uh, the uh, attraction, if you will, and uh, the attractions, the attractions, like just <laughs> mannequin heads being guillotined, and a guy in a gorilla suit lifting a mannequin, standing up and down, uh, you know, supposedly reenacting, I guess, mechanical work. Uh, everything's completely dark. It's like there's no scenery it's just dark and then there'll be a spotlight pop up and you see something uh right at which point you see a guy and just a and i don't understand why the people would be frightened when this is obviously you know a, a 30 cent drugstore rubber mask you know behind sure. behind some bars just behind bars there's just bars there's not a room it's just oh there's bars and it's Making noise and shaking the bars um, in a mask, and the the kid people are freaked out by it. Uh, of course. At which point, the one of the main characters, the main bad guy, not the main bad guy, the guy I see a lot of, pops up and starts doing this weird diatribe of illusion and reality, and uh, <laughs> and then you know, the guy who's behind the bars. Just comes out from behind the bars because again, no wall. Takes off his mask and ta-da! It's it's Lon Chaney Jr. And uh, yes, sadly, not a hell of a lot of difference between John Chaney Jr.'s face and the mask at that point in his life. <laughs> you're you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's about you the know, same. The, the ravages of yeah. alcoholism had really taken its toll upon him at that point. Um, yeah, he looked very rough. Yeah. Sad, really. You know, at, at this point, this is this was his last film. This is Lon Chaney's last film. Um, it was, just, and it was also Jay Carroll Nash's last film as well. Uh, the one playing the Doctor Frankenstein wheelchair care, you know, the, the the main guy right. there. You were talking about, but uh, yeah. the, the thing about Lon Chaney, and I, I say the raging alcoholism, but that's honestly the truth. By ten o'clock in the morning, he was completely obliterated everywhere he went. 
previous to this, he had tried to do a TV movie of Frankenstein where he played the monster. And uh, he was so drunk during the broadcast, because it was a live broadcast, a live, that's what they did. They didn't, they didn't have to tape things back then, apparently. Um, <laughs> so this, this, live, this live <laughs> broadcast of Frankenstein, uh, he played the monster, and he was so drunk he didn't realize he was supposed to actually smash the furniture. So he was doing exactly what he did during rehearsal, which was pick up the furniture and then place it down gently so he didn't break it. And they had to work around that. And that was one of the last things the man did. Uh, then he did this and died of shame. Um, I'm not sure. That's, I suspect a combination of the two. Sure. So you get, uh, what was this guy's name? Nash? J. Carroll Nash, sure. yeah. But he was also a veteran actor, of course. He had appeared in films such as uh, The Monster Maker, House of Frankenstein, and uh, the uh, Batman serial from 1943. So he, uh, you know, he had quite a, uh, you know, quite a resume under his belt already before he did his final film. And you film, could tell that uh, he this was an film. actual actor, that, you know, he had a, he had a sure. presence about him. He had a delivery about him. Uh, also, sadly, what he had was just one actual eye and false teeth. So that when you're hearing him, True. From his false teeth clacking together, um, and then the man couldn't remember his lines, so they would do a close up on him, and you could see his one good eye going back and forth reading the cue card, and the other eye just went straight at the camera. Yeah, it sad. Really was, actually, you, know, he, you could tell he had an act had actor's background, not like most of the people in these films. Um, right, but then you just. It's really weird because you don't really. He's with Lon Chaney. He's supposed to be with Lon Chaney, but you don't see very much of them mm-hmm. in scenes together at all. Uh, That's true. Lon Chaney in a non-vocal role the entire time, doing weird voice, doing weird facial affectations, and acting strange and petting a puppy. And that's what you get from Lon Chaney, um, and he's just. You, there was a lot of just pictures, photos, you know, scenes of him doing this with not a lot of context. So the Nash's character would be talking over it in the dialogue, uh, but Cheney never really did interaction uh, except to, uh, I believe he was in a scene with him when they uh, did the mask thing when. Chaney right. got his first injection to turn him into a monster, which he really didn't turn him into a monster. Just uh, made him go out and kill people. Uh, now let, let's discuss that scene for a okay. moment. He uh, he's just sort of sitting there, correct? Uh, he seems maybe a little agitated. I don't right. know. Like he he needed the shot. I apparently he needed the shot. I don't right. know. Right, and then he would go out and kill people. With the, with yeah, he just pretty much messed up his hair. He didn't have he didn't physically change any that I can tell. He just uh, got bushier. Like it was bushier eyebrows, oh, so hair, okay. and some uh, uh, yeah flop sweat. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which I think was all natural. Well, I think what they did is just hide the booze until they got the effect, and then you know once he's going through DT, you know he started getting the shakes. They okay, quick film it. Uh, there you go. I, <laughs> I think they were actually injecting him with bourbon because once the bourbon kicked in, he could do his acting. So that was not 
an actual needle full of uh, booze, I suspect. So. It's a theory. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah, it's a theory. That's not confirmed, but it Once is a theory. Put it out there as fact on the internet. Why not? Everyone else does. So it's added to Wikipedia. Right. I'll go ahead and edit that when we're done here. And uh, you do that. So then, then we end up uh, weirdly. Uh, you know, uh, Horseshack Dracula shows up, uh, talking to the guy in the wheelchair. The doctor, what was his, what was his name? wasn't Frank? He didn't go by Frankenstein. Went by Doctor Duro or Duran or something sure. like that. But uh, yeah, that was his his fake name. Uh, of course, we find out he's a Frankenstein. But yeah, Doctor Duran or Duro, I don't know, one of those two. It changed. They they couldn't get their names right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Kept calling on Groton and Groton and Groton. Never quite could quite get the name yeah. right. Uh, Based on Charlie Groton, I suspect. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you go ahead and put that one out there too. You you edit that Wikipedia. I'll add that one in later. <laughs> this page keeps growing. So the, uh, uh, Dr. Frankenstein, Dr. Duran, Doran, whatever, talks to Dracula, who just shows up and with all the conviction of you're stepping on my toe, threatens this guy to make the formula. It's never really said what he wants from the formula. And then right. uh, the Dr. Frankenstein, let's call him Frankenstein because I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, uh, yeah. Once he's revealed as the last of the Frankensteins, you know, says, uh, I am too old and too sick to be threatened by the likes of you. Clack, clack, clack. There goes the false team. My, my favorite scene, by the way. Um, and again, there are some, there's actual acting. There's actual, you know, there's something that the man had. The man had some talent at some point, you know, to actually deliver something with there's a little bit of gravitas to it. Um, right. But then Dracula gives he, him a. a yeah, he goes quite nicely, I think. But then Dracula gives him a, a demonstration of his awesome power. Which was to yes. hold up a ring. The the movie goes freeze frame, and uh, the same guy who did the special effects for Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park draws a, ra- a laser beam coming out of this guy's ring, and then you cut to I think it was a rag or a jacket that was hanging on the wall is now on fire. Yeah, just something was burning. Yeah, you're right. And this is my favorite scene because of this. Simply before he does that, uh, Dr. Frankenstein mutters the line because Dracula has, of course, rambled on and threatened him. He says, you don't frighten me. I live beyond fear. Then the fire shoots from the ring and the look on Dr. Frankenstein's face. Pure priceless. He's just sitting there like, yeah. This look, it's just like, I don't know. I just, that's one of my favorite scenes because he's just, uh, well, it's, he changed his tune real. What I really like. He went from being Mr. Cool chair to scared, you know, with this. So, yeah, so it's pretty much. Well, what I like about that scene was I noticed that the guy who played, uh, you know, uh, Dracula Horseshack, um, 
very tall guy. I mean, I'd say six plus feet tall with the hair. And the guy who plays oh, Frankenstein, yeah. Dr. Frankenstein, uh, is in a wheelchair. So there's a height difference of several feet going down from Dracula's eyeline. And yet, it's all right. the scenes, Dracula's looking up when addressing this guy. Not like straight ahead. You're right. Looking up as if this guy is a taller than him when he's three feet shorter. And, okay. There you go. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so Dracula is going to make Frank, Dr. Frankenstein revive the monster for some nefarious purpose. Again, nothing is explained in these things. It's a hallmark of all the no, movies yeah. you make me watch. There's no reason that anything ever happens. True. I think that's one of the reasons I enjoyed this film so much. It's simplicity. Why go to the trouble of completely explaining plot lines? I you don't have to. Leave it up to the, the viewers' imagination. I think the reason you like these things is you have ADD, so you don't have to follow anything. Like every 38 seconds, you reset your brain like a squirrel, and then like, oh, it's a cool movie. And you don't have to worry about any of the details before because they don't matter. We'll see. That's the beauty of it, I guess. Maybe that's it. In its simplicity, it's a masterpiece. Right, what you said 38 seconds ago, squirrel. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good to know you're taking that little one. When I had that to Wikipedia. So well, exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> after this whole really deep uh, meeting of these two characters, we cut away to, a, I believe it was a couple on the beach uh, laying down, kissing, you know, things that young folks do sure. uh, on the beach in the middle yeah. of the night. And, and uh, a completely loop sound. Uh, and, sure. Uh, the lip syncing was not really well done very well with this. Um, what I liked no. was the guy get telling this girl to relax. I always have to tell you to relax. And um, you know, the woman saying, I keep hearing something that sounds like a big dog. And the guy is now <laughs> was looking for his mate. I found mine again, some sort of subtle, you know, oh, I'm gonna get you sort of thing. She stiffens up, yeah. and then here's one of my favorite lines. I blow a dollar on gas to bring you down here, baby. <laughs> yeah, that was great, yeah. wasn't it? That was a classic. Yeah, that's, that's some caring guy. We can really tell they, they have a future together. That uh, you know, He's just trying to get her away to get in her uh, bell-bottom pants, and uh, he's worried about the dollar he had to blow on gas. And, and this is 1971, so right. gas, like a dollar for the gas is like 68 gallons. I mean, <laughs> why are you worried about this? I think, he had, I think he had plenty of gas for that dollar that he and blew. Then got, uh, and then what happens oh, next? He Lon Chaney wheezing uh, because he had to actually walk across the floor, I guess. And, uh, you know, he's rather overweight and not doing well. I've never heard a dog sound like that that wasn't, you know, being gassed or something. And so he shows up with a double-headed axe and kills them. And then we just cut. Yeah. Go away to a protest. Um, and they don't say what the protest is. They don't say what it's about. They don't say who's protesting. It's just mm -mm. footage of an actual protest from the, you know, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, then we go to right. a uh, restaurant 
where they have some groovy yes. music and kids dancing and the uh, uh, during the TV version censored uh, society sucks spray painted on the wall. Yeah, it's right on the TV version apparently. Uh, yeah. Oh wow! One of the things I found out about that. So. Uh, and this would be, you know, the girl's looking for her sister, the, and you know, wants to know if anyone's seen her. A guy with a big, you know, some fresh stitches on his forehead, his his ample forehead, because again, this is back when uh, we didn't care if the people were balding or bald. We just go ahead and cast them. We would never have that now, unless it's a very specific <laughs> character type, where you're an attorney True. or a judge. Or possibly a politician, and then you're fully bald, you know, like the full Jean Luc Picard looking thing. Sure, sure. A piece or is totally shaved. But this guy's got like the really wispy hair, and his forehead stops about three quarters back, and he's got a big scar. He's the waiter. Um, he doesn't. Because that's what you want people seeing when you're going to order food and drinks. Right, a fresh, you know, an oozing scar. That's what you want to see. Yeah, I mean, it was just, yeah, I don't like, what is this? Guy? He's the waiter? Come on now. He's like, maybe a bouncer. I don't know. She just... asked for Rico because, again, we have no context for who Rico is. And then I don't know, no Rico <laughs> goes back, hey, Rico, some dame's asking for you. They slip. Right. Up. Rico being Russ Tamlin, yes, by the way. Uh, Again, I, and this I would assume would be part of what they were going to film for the uh, Satan Sadist sequel because it doesn't have anything to do with monsters. It, they, it's right. the, the Rico character from Satan Sadists and the uh, you know he's a biker who shows up again later again in in a non sequitur sequence to the whole movie. Um, sure. And so they just slip her some drugs. She does some trippy grooving out and. They pay a guy a couple bucks to uh, take her home. And then that's it. Again, no context. And so your little ADD squirrel brain can reset. And then we're back at the lab. uh, Back at the lab, yes. And Dracula Horseshack. And yes, and now we actually get to see the Frankenstein's monster laying on the slab. If yeah, you will. it just looks like a guy with about four pounds of silly putty that just slabbed onto his face. Um, it really kind of does. Very, very right. lumpy. Uh, almost like he was stung in the face by a swarm of bees or yeah, ate peanuts that he was allergic to. Like like he was almost looks lump. leprous with the pustules of it all. But yeah. I don't think that that's the yeah. same mask they use later because the mask that the Frankenstein monster was looking later didn't look quite the same to me. And I think you're correct. And an interesting tidbit about that in the final sequence, is that the no, one you're talking about during the battle mask, at the end? This mask was much more detailed, much lumpier than what looked to be just sort of a paper sack hung over the guy's face when he was uh, running around killing the cops and chasing the girls and such. I mean, that, to me, it looked different. I could be wrong. Well, it could have been. It could have very well been because, I mean, uh, this is a one of those quality films where they could have just lost the mask or it ripped in half and they had to make something on the fly, right. if you will. So who knows, right. you know. There's a bunch of hoo-ha about 
life cycle and the comet coming back with all the power and the comet's back. That's not the way comets work. Yes, yes. Comets don't just show up out of the There's a comet. No, you see it. And it gets bigger and bigger, then fades away. It's not like, it's not, yeah. you know, it's not David Copperfield, just poof, I'm here. No, it's a comet is a celestial thing, which comes and goes. And depending on the, on the size yeah. and trajectory of it, depends on how long you see it. But it's not just like, oh, hey, goodbye. No. Yeah, its agenda pretty much consists of constantly moving, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the whole the whole thing was uh, for those listeners out there who are curious, the comets uh, timing of the comet combined with these women that have been being these women are being murdered by Lon Chaney, right? And uh, brought back to this lab uh, because when they die, apparently it. In- Increases some sort of hormone or something in their blood. The fear hormone, I think, is what they something crazy yeah, like fear that. And, or something, and, and they really power up your yeah, blood yeah, yeah. or something. And because that, that makes yeah, sense, right? Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> Why have we never heard of this through you know science? Right. I, I don't know. Then you have that apparent thing. You just have a guy drive getting into a car and driving, and he looks over and. Well, there's Dracula. It wasn't there before. And instead of freaking out and screaming <laughs> and swerving and slamming on the brakes and jumping out of the car and just, you know, freaking out, the guy's like, who are you? That's it. Just keeps driving. Uh, and Dracula says, well, I'll tell you everything. Turn here. Uh, and there's Frankenstein's monster shambling down the road. The guy stops instead of trying to run over him or drive around him or turning around or anything. Right, exactly. It puts up so much of a fight. Um, and whereas Dracula <laughs> says, you know, and it's an old friend. You're familiar with him. We've made some improvements. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Yeah, the improvements. Um, at which point Frankenstein okay. grabs this guy and hugs him to death and leaves him in the road. Okay. Right. And of course, uh, of course, for those who are unclear, even if you watch the movie, you, you could be unclear to this. That was actually uh, the character Dr. Beaumont, played by, of course, Forrest J. Ackerman, a famous Monsters of Filmland fame. Um, he, he was the one responsible for, for Dr. Frankenstein's... Uh, I, I, I don't know, accident, I guess, that is, the, he, he was in a fire or something they were rambling about. That's why he's in a wheelchair you, today. You couldn't, and You couldn't you prove know. it by looking at the script, even if you tried. Um, there are things right. reference <laughs> with no, you know, reason to reference and never paid off or anything. Yeah, in these sort of situations, you just have to think, okay, uh, I'm just in for a 90-minute beating of my senses, and... Uh, you know, you just sort of take it and, and just keep repeating your name, rank, and serial number until it's over. That's just, this is what this is. This is this is torture. This is uh, this is yeah. something that what will be referred to as enhanced interrogation uh, during the war on terror. And uh, so, yeah, this is what I go through on a weekly basis. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And 
<laughs> so then you, the, you cut to uh, the showgirl, main character, waking up in this apartment with the 50-year-old hippie. But not like a, not like an yeah. actual hippie, just like a guy who's an actor who has to play a hippie, which is... You know, back back in the sixties and seventies, you didn't actually have people who looked like hippies playing hippies because people who looked like hippies were disgusting and, and no one wanted to look at them. So you'd hire some clean cut guy, have him grow his sideburns out a little bit, throw a love bead necklace on him, bingo, bango, bongo, you got your hippie. Um, and so this yeah. guy is forty plus years old easily. Uh, and oh yeah, and that's my bag. Uh, I know things. I'm observer, and so they're out there on the deck now. Some guy says there's a dude down the way who just got. They found them all chopped up. Uh, they didn't find the girlfriend. This is a bummer. Not a panic. <laughs> it's a bummer. It's a bummer that some dude got chopped up. It's not a reason to panic. But it's a bummer because you can't make out with your girl anymore. This is this is the yeah. line. Uh, so what do that they is, do? They awesome. go to the beach and walk where people have been yeah. murdered. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, that's what they do. Brilliant. Ah. Brilliant. Yeah. This hippie has beachfront property. Yeah, you know that that's that. Even back then, beachfront property not cheap. And yet, you know, he's living in his pad, being groovy. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So, so groovy. philosopher hippie, uh, showgirl, and two other random hippies go to the uh, amusement park on the pier, which, which is where the uh, Dr. Frankenstein's horror show his freak show is and i and i'm guessing that right. it's supposed to be something like the santa monica pier where you had some... all right so we're back um once again technology uh being fantastic uh just this whole i think everybody in in the world is using the internet so everybody has gets cut off you know with the whole quarantine thing but I believe the last thing I probably was able to talk about was uh, that they were going to the pier, which I think is at the Santa Monica Pier, which has, uh, which you know actually has shops and neat little things. So this is what it's supposed to be. But you know, philosopher hippie, showgirl, and two other hippies decide they're going to go there. They go in, they see stuff, they talk to Doctor Frankenstein, they leave. They walk out, at which point the two random people, one of the guys actually his name was Strange. Uh, I don't remember what the yeah. girl's name was, <laughs> but uh, you know, the guy goes, Oh, look, a tire. It's got meaning. Everything has meaning. Okay, that's fine. You're a weird hippie guy. You're you're into <laughs> being weird and for the weird itself. Then he does this. He picks up this tire and throws it, goes, fetch. To his girlfriend. Yeah. A lot of respect there. Classy. He's a class act. So, yeah. And at which point we go back into the Satan Sadist movie. Um, right. 
because they they pull up the 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 girl goes to this tire and you can tell it's a different quality of film it's a different lighting of film it's different everything the bikers who were previously seen in the coffee bar scene um show up on their yamahas because you know why 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 would you actually be on a real motorcycle if you're a biker gang um <laughs> you know not a whole lot of people riding around on on you know little yamahas and hondas and stuff and actual biker gangs they they sort of steal the good stuff and ride harleys but okay so they right. show up and uh russ tamblin as rico gives the greatest pickup line I have heard ever in cinema. I need myself a new chick today, so hop on and we'll bug out. <laughs> that is uh, that's t-shirt worthy, really, isn't it? it? It really is. I mean that 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 is the the line that that works every time. It uh, does. If you're, ever, if you're ever in a bar in a singles bar and you're lonely trying to hook up with some girl, just Tell her that that I need myself a new chick today, so hop on the back. Yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah, it's, it'd be fine. It's, it's guaranteed to work, right? And the they're about to, I guess, rape this girl or something, and the cop shows up, and it's the pompadour cop again, and his only other scene in this movie. The he doesn't talk to the he doesn't talk to the people who were assaulted because that would mean he would actually have to have been in the scene with them. This is a different movie again. Sure, uh, sure. <laughs> so the girl, the show girl is like, well, we need help and you know, the cop's like, she can take care of herself. She, there's a big long thing about you don't need to be doing this. You know stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then he says this, I have no idea why he would say this. This doesn't make sense in any way, what shape or form whatsoever. <laughs> Which is, if you've got a fireplace, burn some wood in it. Leave the investigation to me. Right. What right. does that have to do with anything? It, it has absolutely nothing to do with anything. And uh, I don't know. He was uh, offering up some just friendly advice on something, some way to pass the evening, I suspect. Oh, okay. Then we cut to a psychedelic love groove song and a montage of a philosopher hippie and showgirl walking on the beach and this song playing in the background and a lot of footage of seagulls. A lot, why, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is there footage of seagulls? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> the um, and what happened? I lost myself there. Is this where they just sort of jump back to the girl in Strange walking or or she's by herself and runs into the biker gang again? Uh, yeah, maybe. You know what? That's very possible. Because um, what they end up doing shortly after they, you know, talk to the police chief again, who was literally no help, uh, as you as you mentioned, um they end up under the pier because they're doing their own form of uh investigating if you will right sure and uh the the 50-year-old hippie guy notices a trap door on the underbelly of the pier 
right you know, right under the haunted attraction sure and and it's you know spotlighted because whoever did this lighting no one lit this movie i mean to no. light a movie would be to to put you know light in in the direction in a way that makes it look natural or good but every nighttime scene is just some dude with a flashlight like showing where the camera's pointing and everything else is completely pitch black so they're yeah. walking walking underneath this pill underneath this pier spotlit just then can't see anything around them they look up that spotlit just that one little section everything else completely black hey yay and and i think that's when they cut to the girl who's walking underneath there and they she runs into rico and the the biker gang again right and they they chase her and they they are about to rape her when the hero shows up yes dun, 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 dun. Yeah, who shows up? <laughs> Mr. Lon Chaney Jr. shows up once again, sweating profusely and brandishing an axe. Right, and he just kills everyone, including the yeah. girl. He does, yeah. he does. And, uh, <laughs> takes, them, takes them up the trap door, which has a ladder now, uh, mysteriously. The <laughs> philosopher hippie I think I saw something and runs over and can't find the ladder. Um, what? Oh yeah, I love I love that the uh, the girls like when they were first looking at this the uh, trap door. The girls like we let's go, let's get out of here, and they walk two feet away. Like, they right. Don't leave, they, you know, to get away, they just walk two feet away. Okay. Um, they go. She back hated that one spot. Day. They go back to investigate what this guy heard uh, two, two feet away, the screaming of this girl and the you know hacking of people up with an axe. Um, to stay here, he moves away and this, the, the showgirl pops up right next to him. I couldn't stand by myself any longer. <laughs> yeah. I mean... right over there. Literally moving across the <laughs> room. He went, he went one, you know, piece of wood over, and then suddenly, yeah. oh, okay. She, uh, uh, she couldn't stand out being around him. He had charisma. Sure. So they decide they're going to go up and, and look into the, you know, creature feature, and there's yes. the carnival barker again. Yeah. And, oh. Uh, He's always working. 24 hours a day, this guy's working. Sure, and he he tries to get the guy to get the. You can't go in there. You haven't bought a ticket, and the guy just hops the hops over him and runs away. Yeah. <laughs> and then then he says one of the funniest lines no, 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 of the no. film. He, he says it. He says it to the girl. That's what, oh, I, that's I'm talking about what I'm talking to. He doesn't say it to the guy. He says it. To that's the right. Girl. Yes. Your waits for you inside. Then I wrote it down. Do not fear me. I am a little man of no use to anyone. <laughs> Classic. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> of no use to anyone. <laughs> that is that is that is gold. So she runs in. Uh, they, they she. 
finds the guy who has already spoken to Count uh, Count Doctor Frankenstein. Meanwhile, where's Dracula during all this? Um, he's sunbathing or sun or moonbathing, perhaps. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> and here, and I got a little note here. Here's where I noticed something about Frankenstein, Doctor, yes. not the monster. So oh yes, he yes. Has a, he has a Colonel Sanders tie on. He like does. A string bow tie. That's very yeah. big, long. I looked at that. I'm like, oh my god, it's Colonel Sanders tie. Yes. So, yeah. Um. They're they're they see the they see the sister. Yes, uh, they find her, right? Huh? They find Jeannie, the sister, that's right. Find the sister who is naked, but behind some very uh, conveniently placed black bars in a cage. Um, And the doctor says this. The doctor says, uh, he says, no harm has come to her. He tells them that, you know, know, she's no harm. She cut off her head. <laughs> her head. Are you saying it in the heart? Just simply because you reattach it and she's alive again doesn't mean there was a harm. You can cut off her finger and sew it back on. It'll work again. I believe that counts as harm. Wait a minute. I'm a lawyer. Yes, that counts as harm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Oh. Definitely harm in that category. Harm, yeah. Right, and then the Barker, who is, I think he's honest. I think he's actually at two foot eleven. It's yeah, he's a little. Guy, yeah, he's yeah, he's not very big. No, I looked it up. I mean, I think he's two foot eleven. He's under three feet. Oh, tall. he actually is. Oh wow! So he's shorter yeah. than I thought. Yeah, like he is. He is very very small, but he grabs the axe. Um, uh, yeah, and, love this scene too. And it's going to attack them, and then Lon Chaney is picking up stuff in a drunken super and swinging things at them. The dwarf falls through the trap door, yes, um, and drops the axe into the sand. The puppy that Lon Chaney has been. Well, quite frankly, I was terrified for the safety four after seeing of my yeah. um you know, I just knew something bad was gonna happen to the dog. So but I guess it was to show the gentle nature versus the the homicidal nature of this guy. That he would just yeah, it was, with a puppy until he's it was that Lenny, it was the whole Lenny from uh you know of mice and men with the rabbits right. thing. Right, exactly. So but he falls through the trapdoor, uh fall well the axe falls. He falls on the axe. And it is, I mean, it is third grade level stab you through the heart with my fake sword level of effect. Where it's so yes. obvious this guy is just in front of, toward the camera of the axe head. And, you know, his moving his head around allegedly impaled on the axe with the, in the right. head. But no, no. Um, and then the doctor, who's in a wheelchair, screams that they've killed this guy. Now, he doesn't know that they've killed this guy. It's probably no guy fell safely on the soft sand. Um, but somehow, he knows that the guy was impaled on an axe um, and killed him. Well, I... Thought that that was fairly certain that that was uh, what Lon Chaney was already trying to do. 
Um, <laughs> right. 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 So yeah, I mean it's uh, it's worth. Well, here, here we go. They're going through the the doctor is chasing the aging hippie because the yeah. girl has run off and she's being chased by Lon Chaney. Right. Um, so the doctor is chasing the aging hippie guy with a pistol. Um, sure. That shoots too many bullets without being reloaded, but okay. Um, <laughs> and somehow, and I just, I've tried to figure this out. I tried desperately to figure this out. How? Yeah. Somehow a guy who can barely go forward at, at the speed of smell, um, you know, in a wheelchair, somehow flings himself into a guillotine in his attraction. <laughs> And it's beheaded. <laughs> that scene. Oh my! Every attraction, you use a real guillotine just in case a kid falls into it. That's what you need. It's a real guillotine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I watched that scene, uh, and to me, uh, just like you, it's like, how did this even happen? How did oh. this even happen? But yeah. it's, it's hilarious. Don't get me wrong. And again, Dracula is supposed to be there helping, doing things. Dracula's nowhere to be seen. He's doing nothing. He's doing I, I absolutely guess, I guess he had to go to Temple that night. I'm not sure. <laughs> so these two... It was sundown after the Sabbath. He wasn't going to go. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So I found it ironic, though, that these two, you know, the the evil scientist and his 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 henchmen, end up, you know, the irony of it is that the very weapons that they had at their disposal end up being the instrument of their demise. No, no, no. The guillotine <laughs> is not a weapon at one's disposal. It is an instrument of execution. You don't have a. That's not something you just walk around. I have a guillotine. Here, climb into it so I can chop you up. That's not a weapon at your disposal. <laughs> well, I suppose if you paint that picture, you're right. Yeah. Still ironic that he would be flung violently from his chair. His neck just happens to land on the, uh, you know, the uh, trigger mechanism decapitating him all in one right. smooth take. Right. Yeah. You know, because even if it was on a working guillotine, uh, it's going to be razor sharp. It wouldn't have just, you know, fallen down and, you know, banged his head and he would scream like an owl there's a knot on my head. No. That... <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't have been quite dramatic. The cops pull up with the strange because he's like, my girl done disappeared or whatever. Sure. Uh, and then then they just shoot Lon Chaney. Now, they don't see Lon Chaney threatening anyone. They don't see Lon Chaney chasing anyone. They have no idea what Lon Chaney is doing on the roof of this building other than He's just Lon Chaney on top of roof. So they just shoot him. He doesn't have a weapon in his hand. He's not threatening. There's not even one around. I'm like, oh, look, Lon Chaney, target practice. Pow, pow. That's what happened. Right. Well, the fact that he was Lon Chaney on a building was just cause enough to, uh, you know, shoot the guy, I think. Yeah, thank God we live in America with due process. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then, then they, they toss a potato sack dressed as Lon Chaney off the, off the building. Yes. Lon Chaney laying on the sidewalk, and the puppy who had fallen underneath the pier, uh, has someone made it from underneath the pier into the middle of the city, 
and is now licking his face. Oh, it's a sad, horrible thing. It's King Kong all over again, where the the beast has fallen, but he's something. There's a sweet nature to him. Right. Yeah, the puppy wasn't licking up the blood or anything that was made out of syrup. That's not why he was there. Nah, Um, it was sad. He was a victim of circumstance. Right. Frankenstein's creature shows up randomly uh, while Dracula has now suddenly appeared. And as, as the movie goes along, Dracula's makeup gets starker and starker. And what I mean by that is that it's not just a pale effect on the face. It's now complete clown white makeup. It's not just some some eyeshadow to to give accent and a more mysterious look and un, an undead look to this. It is now like pure out Svengoolie black, just jet black around the eye, deep under the eye, high above the eye. Um, the he's threatening a philosopher hippie. The philosopher hippie pulls out a random flare. Because who doesn't walk around with a flare? I mean, I know sure, I have you know. in my pocket right now. Just, to, just You to might need them. You yeah. might need them. Hey, you never know. Yeah, and then he shoves the flare at the what looks like a bag on the Frankenstein's head. It, it really looks uh, so bad. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not good. Frankenstein's creature gets confused, attacks Dracula. Dracula fights him off, and uh, as Philosopher Hippie and Showgirl are running off, uh, Dracula, who now looks like, um, do you remember King Diamond in the yes. 1980s? <laughs> he looked just like that almost. Yeah, yeah, he got sued by Gene Simmons for looking too much like a kiss makeup. <laughs> this That's is right. what the Dracula looked like at this point. It was just stark white. Super black. Uh, the freeze frame. Draw some flame coming out of the of the cursed ring, and then uh, they freeze frame the the people running away. Draw on an outline of figure, and then suddenly the girl's in front of a big pile of burning something. Yeah. Uh, so Dracula killed the girl. She faints. They take the girl. They take the, the old beauty. If he is dead. Yeah, they take the girl to New York for some reason because they just right. they're going to film this last scene in New York uh, <laughs> as opposed to L.A. where everything else was filmed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because, you know, if you have that kind of a budget, why, why spend it on travel? You know, exactly. Why, uh, why not spend it on travel instead of, I don't know, a plot, uh, editing, uh, inking, color, cast uh, <laughs> services. Something, something um, beneficial, yeah. Then Dracula <laughs> is now going to turn this girl into a vampire, although he was supposed to have been using her blood to create the electrolyte thing to make him immortal. Here I thought he was immortal. Right, but, right. Um, then Frankenstein stops him from biting her. Again, no reason for it. There's no background to it. No explanation. Just the Frankenstein, nope, you're not biting her. Um, they run out of the church and start tussling in the woods. And it is so poorly filmed. I could not tell who was Dracula, who was Frankenstein. No, it's it was just, so dark. It's yeah. just in the middle of the woods. And again, outside of the, out, out, just outside of, Cal, of uh, Santa Barbara, California, is a, a 
you know, I remember there being a, a deep deciduous woods just when I visited there. Just you know, a a lush, lush green oasis of deciduous woods in that desert area. Ah, but okay. Yeah. Then they're fighting, and what I finally did see was Dracula ripping off the monster's arms. Yes. Brutal. And the monster kept coming at him. And you know what this was? This was the precursor to the Black Knight in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Ah, I see. And it I was. See that. Yeah. Just put a scratch. And it kept coming. <laughs> see, this, I knew this movie was highly influential in many ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, make King Diamond do his makeup. Heck, it was 1971. That may have influenced Kiss. Who knows? <laughs> I think it did. Yeah, Monty Python. I'm sure those guys really you know, stole off of this. Uh, sure. Dracula finally rips the head off the creature and looks straight up at the noonday sun uh, and is trying to get back to the church from the woods. I guess before the sun comes up, but he's looking at the sun above him. <laughs> He is um, looking at the sun, and, yes. then, and then I guess he's killed by what's what we refer, refer to as the infamous second sunup, uh, because he <laughs> falls down in front of the church, and then you see the sun coming up, uh, and just again in real time apparently because they just they, they just keep showing the same scene. It's not really brighter. They just then they turn up the exposure. It becomes very bright. Dracula's makeup keeps getting worse and worse. He's dying. He's dead. Okay, showgirl has now loosed herself from the uh, oh so tight bonds that you know uh, Stephen Hawking could have gotten out of, um, <laughs> and uh, finds Dracula's ring, which Frankenstein had previously ripped off of Dracula's finger to uh, prevent him from burning him. I guess so. Apparently, that's the only thing that Dracula has is this ring that can shoot fire. Can't turn into a bat or have. Really, any power yeah. whatsoever. I, I that guess. was uh, that was his one trick, and uh, well, that was kind of it. Yeah. So she finds once the, the ring, monster, was, you know, she that finds was it. the ring. She walks out. There's like a thousand different flashback shots, and uh, she throws the ring onto the pile of smoldering clothes. I'm thinking that later, you know, she gets away. They're going to show the body regenerating because of the power of the ring but no it just it just stops the end oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> enough of this story it's got to have a finish uh, yeah. oh what a dramatic finish it was yeah it was great you know a bit of trivia in regards can I have to some more? can i have some more knowledge about this can i pollute, <laughs> <Can I> pollute <laughs> the attic of my mind with more <laughs> junk about this movie because i'm begging you this is what i need i need to have that i don't need to know you know any legal precedent please push anything that's a use out of my mind and replace it with this this pile of steaming gunk that you're about to throw at me go ahead please sure friend, yeah. go ahead. Hey, it's what I do. I'm good at it. You know, hey. <laughs> the uh, the Frankenstein's monster was actually portrayed by two separate actors. Uh, John Bloom, who uh, portrayed the monster through, I'd say, 90% of the film. And then uh, the role was uh, assumed by Shelley Weiss or Wise uh, for the New York uh, shoot. So, uh, yeah, that was yeah, interesting. Sure. Uh, Why not? Don't you might like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
that, that, thanks, you know. Yeah. I, I need to know that instead of, you know, what's legal for people to do when they're arrested or not. That's what I need to know. Thanks. Push push that out of my mind and replace it with that. That's that's what I need to know. Well, you're very welcome. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> oh. But as, as you said earlier, this film was sort of chock full of uh, Hollywood's elites, and uh, it turned out to be quite a mishmash of fun, didn't it? Oh, you know, I, I, I have to say that sadly this was more comfortable for me to watch because this was back, this was something that we had, we had watched a lot of the kind of schlock when we were, you know, just out of high sure. school. Uh, right. You know, the, the days of the, the pirated video cassette and, and all that. And, you know, I, I have seen a lot of this sort of stuff. And this is why I recognize those names. So this was, oddly enough, less painful to watch because it was a familiar hurt uh, yeah. rather than a new, all new kind of hurt. You know, sort of like the other stuff that you've inflicted upon me in the past. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed the pain, my oh, friend. It was a yeah. burn. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was fun. A lot of familiar faces, especially Russ Tamblin and Lon Chaney Jr. I think those were probably two of the biggest uh, stars. Know, of it really is sad what happened to Lon Chaney Jr. Because he you know, was such yeah. a an icon of horror at one point yeah. with being the original Wolfman. And you know, yeah. reprising that role over and over again, and then the, in the Universal movies, uh, you know, even playing different roles, you know, like Frankenstein's assistant and and such as that, and and, and in the late sixties, actually playing Frankenstein's monster at one point. Yeah. Um, and he, and he had been an actor, and you, and you could tell even in his shambling, uh, alcoholic phase that he was really trying. You know, he was yeah. trying to to put something forth. And you have something that a guy who was in such a magnificent movie as Of Mice and Men, uh, mm-hmm. and you have him, you know, just being such a shambles of a person, being, you know, such a raging alcoholic. And, and, and that is a sad state of affairs to, to see someone fall like that. And, you know, still, is, trying, yeah. still trying to do what he knows, which is, you know, just show up and, uh, you know, play whatever they, they tell him to do. And, and he did it. And uh, he did. Yeah. You, know, you, you kind of hope that you would have a better last film that you go out on a high note, but you know he. I guess he went out doing what he knew, which was acting. So right, you can't ask for any more than that, I suspect. I, I guess not. You can ask for more, but apparently you don't get it. But uh, <laughs> well, at least Tamblin's still alive and with us. Uh, he, you know, he's still doing his thing. Uh, so that's uh, well, you know, thank you God. Know. I was worried about that. Thinking to myself uh, as as we're all isolated from this COVID nineteen hoax that it's turning out to be that oh I, please God take care of us Tamlin I hope that he's okay. <laughs> well, we're on the same page then. That's good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Quick, quick, quick question. What is your favorite Russ Tamlin role? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't. I, this is the only thing I can remember him being in other than the other crappy movie that you made me watch. Okay, I'll tell you mine since you asked. It's a Chucky, Chucky the Shark Man in the film Cabin Boy. That was Russ Tamblin? That's Russ Tamblin, yes. Well, all right, then I'll take that one too. Okay, so we're on the same page. I thought so. Okay, okay good. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yes, that, that, that just chalks up another great part of that movie. 
A classic. It's something. Awesome yeah. classic, if you will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, sir, I think that I've had enough pain for the day, so uh, I will bid you adieu. Yes. All right, sir. I will well, bid you adieu as well, and uh, I guess that's a, that's another wrap, as they say in the biz, huh? Yeah, it is. So, uh, well, for uh, my buddy here, Pat here, uh, my I am Shane Aiden, and we are wishing you, uh, you know, Please stay safe. Uh, thanks for joining us and uh, keep your produce fresh, kids, okay? Yes, do. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Adios.